0: Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live.
1: Welcome to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. Newcastle Library's Heritage Collection contains more than 440,000 items in various formats from Meryl Portraits and Snowball's plate glass negatives to the original Menzies Declaration and the Creer and Berkeley Archive of Subdivision Maps. A wide range of Newcastle's stories are presented in the Library's Heritage Collection. Join us as we explore one piece from the Library's fascinating rare book room.
0: Welcome to Love Lampton series as part of Treasures from the Rare Book Room with local historian and author Julie Keating and Robert Watson. Julie has written many books on the suburbs of Newcastle and is a second-generation Lampton resident. This chat is inspired by the love of Lampton community for their suburb and its ongoing longevity. They'll be joined by Kerry Shaw, our heritage collections and digitalisation specialist at Newcastle Libraries.
2: Lambton Park Rotunda. The establishment of Lambton Park itself took over a decade. In contrast, the idea of a rotunda was first raised by Alderman William Thomas Dent in December 1889, and less than 12 months later in November 1890, it was formally opened. That's not to say that the project was without difficulties. First, there was considerable argument about its location. Originally it was to be on the corner of Moorhead and Howe Streets, but there was concern that noise from the steam trams on Howe Street would drown out public speakers and musical performances. Eventually a decision was made to locate it further into the park in its current aesthetic position in line with Pearson Street. Construction was delayed by some very bad weather, but then a storm of a more personal nature erupted in the letters page of the newspaper. Mr. William Conn suggested that the Rotunda have a park, expressing gratitude to Thomas Crowdis for his work in establishing Lambton Park. This elicited some rather spiteful letters in response, mocking Mr. Conn, and making negative insinuations towards Mr. Crowdis. The idea of the plaque was quietly dropped, and instead, in the lattice-work above the Corinthian columns adjoining the entrance steps, were placed the words W.T. Dent, Mayor, erected 1890, and it's still there today. Thomas Crowdis finally got the proper recognition for his role in establishing the park when in 1918, one of the foundation stones of the memorial gates had the inscription, Thomas Crowdus, founder of this park. At a final cost of £361, construction of the rotunda was completed by the contractor, Timothy Boyle, in September 1890. However, it was decided to postpone the formal opening until an ongoing miners' strike was resolved, when the populace would be in a more festive mood. With the miners' dispute eventually settled, the Rotunda was officially opened on Saturday, 29th of November 1890, by Mr Brunker, the Minister for Lands. The ceremony included a brass band performance and a demonstration of Northumbrian sword dancing, to celebrate this handsome addition to the park.
3: The official opening of the Rotunda in Lambton Park yesterday was a great success. The weather was fine and the attendance numerous, upwards of a thousand being present. The Lambton Brass Band was present and enlivened the proceedings. The Chairman, the Mayor of Lambton, Mr W Dent, explained the object of the gathering. In the first place, the official opening of the Rotunda, and secondly, to obtain funds to repay the cost of its erection. It was a necessary addition to the public park.
2: When there were industrial disputes, Lambton was a convenient meeting place for miners from various collieries to discuss industrial action. With a tram stop close by, miners could easily get to the site and the Rotunda became a useful platform for union speakers. As expected, the Rotunda was the setting for various musical events.
3: On Friday night, a large crowd visited the park for the purpose of listening to the music rendered by the famous 4th Regiment band. The rotunda was splendidly lit with the electric light, and shortly after 7 o'clock the band struck up, under the conductorship of their well-known and able leader, Mr Barkle. Seven pieces were played, consisting of marches and a set of quadrilles, and the latter piece has hardly commenced before two sets were formed and enjoyed themselves thoroughly by dancing to it on the green. The weather was exceedingly fine and everything tended to favour the enjoyment of the public, who were delighted with the music.
0: Arthur Lindley Payne A.L. Payne was born at Lindley Park, a property in the Millers Forest area, around 1850. His family moved to Waratah in the 1860s where the teenage Arthur was employed by Donald McMichael, a butcher. Arthur's skill and reliability were so evident that he was soon appointed to manage the business. In 1870, at just 20 years of age, Arthur Payne purchased a butchering business in Regent Street, New Lambton, and later that year opened another shop in Elder Street, Lambton. Thus began a family business that maintained a continuous association with the area until 1993, a total of 123 years. Payne's efforts were not only directed towards commerce. He served as an Alderman on Lambton Council for 19 years and was four times elected Mayor. He also became renowned for his expertise in herbal medicines. Mr. Payne carried on a butchering business successfully for many years,
3: but he was better and far wider known as a skilled advisor in cases of sickness and chronic complaints. He was so successful in the treatment of all kinds of human ailments and diseases that patients came to him from almost all parts of the Commonwealth, including Queensland and Tasmania.
0: One of the enduring legacies of Arthur Payne is Le Chalet, the elegant house he had built in Elder Street Lampton in the early 1900s. At the rear of this property, Arthur Payne erected stables and a buggy house, as he was an avid horseman. He maintained a lifelong interest in the sport of show jumping and won a number of competitions across New South Wales with horses he had personally trained.
3: Mr Payne's first high jumper, a mare called
0: Melba, did not have
3: one good point as far as confirmation was concerned, but proved a good jumper. These horses, together with Auburn, a chestnut gelding, and Brackwell, a black horse, formed a family show team. Shortly before he died, Mr Payne paid good money for Landlock, a high jumper, and after preparing him, sent him for a ladies high jump at Brisbane show. After doing a warm-up around the ring, his rider dismounted to arrange the number cloth on him. As she did so, Landlock sat down on his tail and died. Mr Payne's philosophical
0: comment was,
3: If it's got to be,
0: it will be. Around 1914, the Lambton butchery business moved to the opposite side of Elder Street and Arthur handed over management to his sons, Albert, Leslie and Harold. There is still a butcher shop on this site today but in 1993 the longest running business in Lambton ceased when the business was sold. After a short illness, A.L. Payne died at his residence in Elder Street, Lambton in June 1915. His funeral cortege travelling from Lambton to Sandgate Cemetery was reported as one of the largest that ever left Lambton. The size of the gathering being a fine tribute of respect and esteem in which the deceased gentleman was held.
2: Entertainment venues. Lambton had a large number of different halls, theatres and entertainment venues over the years. Some of the halls were associated with hotels and often the hall was named after the hotelier at the time. Consequently, the same hall could be referred to by many different names over the years. In the 1880s, Roller skating was wildly popular, and in August 1888, Nathaniel Elliott opened the Criterion skating rink in Moorhead Street. As well as skating, the building was used for social and community events, including the banquet to celebrate the opening of the electric light scheme in 1890. The skating craze soon waned and Elliott installed a stage and reopened his rink as the Star Theatre in May 1892.
3: Mr Elliott, the proprietor of the Crichton Skating Rink, has decided to make a change in his building, which deserves special mention. A stage has been fitted up with the necessary appliances added Also, the floor covered with commodious forms and additional electric lamps have been arranged suitably, which gives the building quite a changed and taking appearance. It now bears the name of the Star Theatre.
2: For the next nine years, the theatre was regularly used for dramas, concerts, political meetings, exhibitions and lectures. From 1901, it fell into disuse and by 1906 was described as dilapidated. And Lampton Council called for the owner to make repairs. The theatre was demolished, and a new building, the Victoria Hall, was erected in 1909. For the next year, there are a few references to this hall, and a final mention is made in July 1910. What happened to this hall is unknown as is often the case in researching local history, as one mystery is solved, another one rises in its place. Two years later, in May 1911, the proprietor of the Northumberland Hotel, George Smith, invited tenders for the erection and completion of a large brick building in Moorhead Street. His hall opened in December 1911 as the Coronation Hall in honour of King George V. Because George V became king in 1910 on the death of his father, the hall is often erroneously dated to that year. However, the coronation ceremony took place the following year, on the 22nd of June 1911. Six months later, the Adelphi Picture Palace opened in the hall.
3: The Coronation Hall-Lampton, near Tram Terminus, will shortly be opened as the Aldifia Picture Palace, under the direction of the Messrs A, F, Ralph and Son. There will be seating for 600 to 700 persons. Provision is also made to enable a large picture to be produced by a powerful electric plant and cinematograph.
2: In the 1920s, roller skating had a resurgence and the hall was briefly known as the Coronation Skating Rink and the Lambton Skating Rink. By the end of that decade, the roller skating craze had diminished and there are no more references to the hall being used for this purpose. Coronation Hall was once again destined to be a picture theatre and in 1938, renovations were undertaken which included the addition of a dress circle. The interior was decorated in what was described as Art Deco Modern style, and the owner, Frank Edwards, wanted to install a fancy neon sign. However, the cost for the long name Coronation Hall was too high, so he switched for the cheaper alternative being simply King's. The building still stands and is now Lazotte's a business which combines a quality dining experience while enjoying performances from top entertainment artists.
0: Ralph Snowball With a modern smartphone in our hands, we can easily and at low cost snap high-resolution pictures and instantly send them around the world. It's a vast difference from the rigours and expense of photography in the late 19th century. When Newcastle celebrated early photographer Ralph Snowball worked. Snowball was born in 1848 in Durham, UK, where he worked as a miner before coming to Australia. He settled in New Lambton around 1879 to work at the Lambton Colliery. An accident meant he could no longer continue in mining and he took up photography in 1885. He established a studio at his home in Clarence Road where his work included portraits and visiting cards. He also travelled extensively in a horse-drawn wagonette, carting his bulky equipment to capture landscapes, buildings and public events, sometimes selling his work for publication in newspapers. In 1887, Snowball set up a studio in Hunter Street, Newcastle, near Market Street, where he was well placed to document the bustling harbour city and sell his services to the visiting sailors. It is unclear how long Ralph Snowball had his Market Studio in Hunter Street, but it would seem that he vacated prior to 1901. In the Federal Directory of Newcastle and District 1901, Snowball is not listed among the photographers of Newcastle, but is instead listed in the New Lambton section as being on Gwydie Road. Note that Snowball's property, containing his home and studios, stretch between Gwydie Road and Clarence Road, with the house facing Gwydie and the studio backing under Clarence Road.
3: Snowball used glass-negative photography to capture portraits, events, architecture, industry and trains. His work gives an insight into Newcastle life in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Without his work, we would have almost no visual representation of our early heritage. In
0: 1888, he referred to the rigours of his trade, writing, My work keeps me from home from 8am to 7pm and sometimes later. This must have been a huge strain on his wife, Mary, at home raising eight children. Snowball was an active participant in civic affairs and was appointed the first town clerk of New Lambton in 1889. He also served in a number of churches and friendly societies. He retired from photography around 1912 and died in Walton Hospital on the 4th of August 1925, aged 76.
3: Originally, more than 8,000 glass negatives were stored in the cellar of Ralph Snowball's Clarence Road house. These lay undiscovered until the beginning of 1989, when around 800 or so boxes were found by Norm Barney and Bert Lovett. All were examined and around 2,000 were subsequently dumped due to being damaged by a combination of age and dampness.
0: The bulk of his collection is now held by Newcastle City Library and the University of Newcastle, providing us today with a priceless legacy of thousands of detailed pictures of our past.
2: Lambton Fire Station In 19th century Lambton, fire, in one form or another, was the principal means of heating, cooking and providing light. But the flames that illuminated also had a dark side. On Saturday night, 6 February 1875, in Miss Jackson's millinery shop in Elder Street, the string that suspended the window lamp snapped. The lamp fell and the shop contents ignited. Although the blaze was spotted and extinguished before much damage had been done, this near disaster was the catalyst for the formation of the Lambton Fire Brigade. A public meeting was held, a committee formed, subscriptions collected, and a hand-pumped fire engine purchased from Sydney for £40. The engine arrived in August 1875 and was housed in a shed paid for and erected by John Stoker at the rear of his hotel on the northeast corner of Elder and Granger Streets. After some period of practice, the engine and crew were first put to the test fighting a fire at the cooperative colliery in Walls End in January 1876. With the population continuing to grow over the next decade, the brigade decided the original engine was no longer large enough to service the town's needs.
3: They decided to get a larger one, which they had succeeded in doing, and were now about to name the Fire Queen. The members of the brigade had always worked well and voluntary, not only in working the engine, but in canvassing the town and district for subscriptions. They had raised £96 towards paying for the cost of the new engine, which, with additional appliances, had cost some £190.
2: With the addition of more equipment and new engines over the years, the location behind Stoker's Hotel became too small. Also, the Liquor Act had been amended, and a fire station could no longer be located on licensed premises. An application was made to Lambton Council for some of their land, and a new two-storey wooden fire station was constructed in Diviter Street and officially opened in 1902. Unfortunately, in March 1913, a violent windstorm totally destroyed the building, damaging much of the firefighting equipment inside.
3: Although it only lasted eight minutes, the wind speed of up to 135 kilometres an hour was sufficient to lift the building, sending the upper story into the block next door and reducing the lower story to rubble.
2: Temporary premises were used until a new fire station was constructed on the site. This time a substantial brick building was built with an engine and reel room, a watch room, recreation room, storeroom and bathroom. When it opened in nineteen fourteen, the brigade consisted of a captain and ten volunteers. This fire station served the local community for over a hundred years until the move to the new fire station site in Young Road happened in 2016. The provision of fire services in Newcastle were overhauled with the amalgamation of Lambton, New Lambton and Hamilton fire stations. Our reliance on fire for the basic necessities of life is diminished, but our reliance on local firefighting services in times of crisis is as great as when the Lambton Fire Brigade began 141 years ago.
0: Lambton Alderman. Lambton Council was incorporated on the 26th of June 1871, and a ballot to elect nine eldermen was held six weeks later. The boundaries for the new council including the outlying settlements of Dark Creek, Comedige, and Grovetown, and in the election, not a single Lambton townsman was elected. The result was not popular, as is indicated by one of the candidates, John Beveridge.
3: It was without exception the awfullest election that had ever taken place in the Northern District. Intelligence and capacity to fill the office of alderman had not been taken into consideration at all; a combination of the Commonage, Dark Creek, and Grove Town beat Lambton Township. People must think it hard that those who contributed so largely to the rates have no voice in their expenditure.
0: The first council meeting was held in the original Mechanics Institute building in Howe Street and Uriah Broome elected as the first Mayor. According to Lachlan Wetherill, Lambton Council had 99 different aldermen and they were all men. For most of the life of the council, this was by law. Women were only allowed to nominate with the passing of the Local Government Act of 1919, but even then... No women ever stood for election in Lambton. The Municipalities Act of 1867 and the Local Government Act of 1906 were explicit in restricting council service to men. For example, Section 69 of the 1906 Act says Any male person whose name is on the roll of electors for an area
3: shall, if not disqualified, be eligible to be elected and to act as an
0: alderman or councillor of that area. A total of 28 aldermen held the position of mayor and a number of streets in Lambton are named in their honour. The four longest serving mayors have streets in Lambton and North Lambton named after them, Johnson, Charlton, Dent and Crowdus. Four other mayors also have corresponding street names, Notley, Hill, Noble and Young, although Young Road is probably not named after Alderman James Young, as the street name was in use as early as 1871, seven years before he was elected in 1878. The council's biggest crisis was the failure of the electric light scheme. Switched on in 1890, by the end of the decade it had sent the council bankrupt. As no one wanted to serve on a financially crippled body, by 1899 the council effectively ceased, with insufficient aldermen to form a quorum at meetings. In the election scheduled for February 1902, not a single person nominated. Due to a quirk in the rules of local government, the last man left sitting in the mayoral chair, Matthew Thornton, retained his position and for the next two years was the mayor of a council with no alderman, not even himself. Of particular note is JT Johnson, who was elected mayor on eight occasions in his 24 years on Lambton Council. He was the final mayor of Lambton, but his municipal honours did not end there. He was elected to the inaugural city of Greater Newcastle Council in 1938. He remained as a representative of the Lambton area until 1950, clocking up a remarkable total of 37 years of aldermanic service.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. To access and browse Newcastle Library's collections, please visit our website at newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library To view our heritage collection just Google Hunter Photo Bank. The online collection is constantly being added to as items are digitised and loaded so be sure to visit often.
0: This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.